Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. But it's really designed to teach us how to be set free from it, uh, instead of how to get more of it necessarily. And so here's the question that's framing our series, and you can see it on the screen here, is once we pass go and we collect $200, what does that mean? It's kind of like when you get paid, when your direct deposit hits your bank. Once you get that money, what do you do with it? What do we do with it and how do we handle our money? And last week we kicked off the series and we introduced our first rule of the house today and that is no guilt. This is a no guilt zone. I just want to remind everybody here that what we're talking about with money that oftentimes all sorts of emotions rise up and you can feel guilty or feel defensive. This is a no guilt zone. And the reason for that is because the fact is, is that we have all made mistakes with money. Myself included, we have all made mistakes with money. And this series is not about guilt. It's not about get rich schemes. Uh, This series is all about experiencing God's best for our finances. We want to know how God created us to learn how to use money appropriately so that we can be free to use, to be free to live the way that God wants us to live. And so here's what we learned last week is that Jesus actually talks more about money than really any other topic. And we examined that, that the numbers of one in every 10 verses in, in, in the Gospels is about money, and two-thirds of all of his parables actually dealt with possessions and wealth. So money is a topic Jesus talked about a lot. And here's the reason why, is he said that wherever our money is, that's where our treasure is. He knew that the place that we put our money is where we really care about the most. And so Jesus also knew that for many of us that money would be the number one competitor for our lives. And so we spent last week talking about money sickness, about how when we fall in love with money, more than a relationship with God, with him, with our creator, that it causes us to be sick and we live out of that greedy space rather than a place of a heart of being free from it. Now this week, we're going to be building on last week's principles and we're going to be getting really, really practical. And I love this. The Bible talks about some very specific practical reasons. But the reason that we're building is because there's a second reason that Jesus talked about money more than anything else. And that is because I think that Jesus also knew that money would also be the number one cause of stress in our lives. And I think if most of us would think about it, that that's something that we can all relate to. And here's what I mean. Some of us are graduating from high school uh, or maybe getting close to college. We've been kind of studying for a little while and we're about to start college or begin a career and you're going to be taking on things like student loans and, and trying to figure out how to live on your own and kind of just figure that out. What is it like to live life like normal? Some of us have graduated college and maybe you're in your first job right now and you're getting a paycheck, but there really always seems to be a zero at the end and you don't ever have enough and you're wondering where is all my money going? Some of us are in our late 20s or early 30s, and you're making more money than you've ever had before, but your bills and your expenses are growing, and you have more of that than you've ever had before as well, and your bills seem to be piling up maybe faster than your raises do. Some of us have kids, and you're trying to figure out why the heck the kids cost so much money. And there's and always something to pay for. Something's always broken. There's always more things to have to get or new things. Some of us are in our 40s and our 50s, and we're trying to think, well, maybe we're doing okay, but there's some nagging feeling of, should I be doing more? Is there, am, I, am I behind the curve? Am I even going to be able to be where I want to be when, I, when it's time for me to retire? Maybe you're feeling behind financially. Maybe some of us are in our 60s or in our 70s and you're worrying about your own kids or your grandkids and where they're at in life and wondering if you have enough money to retire. You don't know what the next chapter of your life is going to look like or maybe you even have medical bills and things like that. The point is that all of us 
on some level, are trying to figure this whole money thing out. We're trying to, to figure it out. And so the Bible gets really practical. And I love this, that today we're going to talk about out of the book of Proverbs. How many of you have ever heard of Proverbs or read a verse from the book of Proverbs? You know, the funny thing about American Christianity is that we tend to use Bible verses like, like Confucius sayings, like one-liners from a book of, of like, you know, wisdom or something where we'll say, you know, the Bible says, and then we don't really know what it says before or after that particular verse. Now, Proverbs is probably the only one where we're actually allowed to do that because the book of Proverbs is 31 chapters, which is full of verses that are really about wisdom and godly advice, and a lot of it is about money. And today I want to look at three Proverbs and three disciplines that we can get from those that I believe can change our financial picture. How many of us want to be set free from money and know how to use it properly? Let me see your hand. One person wants to be set free from money. All right. I like it. We're in a good place today. So let's get started. Today we're talking about God's house rules, okay? What does that mean? So like when you go to a casino, you got to understand the house rules, right? And we're not talking about gambling here. We are talking about God's house rules. And why is that? Because God created the universe, right? He created the, the physics of the kingdom, as I like to say. God's kingdom operates under certain principles. And if we understand God's house rules or how the economy of God's uh, economy in his kingdom works, and in the way that money operates and the way it should operate, if we live by those principles, we will be set free. We will live a life of peace. I promise you. So we're going to look at Proverbs today. So God's house rules. Proverbs chapter 21. If you open your Bibles, Proverbs is in the Old Testament. So that's in the First Testament. It's about halfway through there. So open your Bibles up to about a quarter of the way through. Or it's on your tablets. If you don't have a Bible... We have Bibles for you down here in the front, as well as our Connection Center. No one should leave today without a Bible if you don't have one. They are free, 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 free. Everybody say free. free. All right. So a Bible is free, and we also have these Learning to Follow Jesus books. I encourage you to pick one up today. If you're feeling stale in your faith, you don't know where to start, how to begin with some of the principles we talk about, Learning to Follow Jesus is a free book, seven-day guide to beginning a journey with Jesus. I encourage you to get both of those. So today... Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5. It'll also be on the screen for you to look here. It says this, Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Good planning and hard work leads to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. So what it's saying is that there are two paths with two different destinations that we can arrive at. Destination A is prosperity. That sounds good. And destination B is poverty. The destination that you arrive at depends on the path that you take, okay? So what we see here is one path is the hasty path. Our decisions that we make are made right in front of us. We're reacting to things. We're not, we're not planning. We don't have a whole lot of, of insight, not a lot of intentional decisions. Uh, it's a lot of just kind of reaction. But the other path... The other path is one that does not lead to poverty and instead leads to prosperity. While one path possibly leads to frustration, unpaid bills, even bankruptcy, if we don't get a hold of it, it leads to this place. The other path has a very different one, one that leads to abundance and prosperity and peace, it says. And here's what it looks like. It's a path called planning, a path called planning. What we need is a better plan. When we pass go, when we collect our paycheck, when we get that direct deposit or the money comes into our bank account, what we need to do ahead of time is we need to decide ahead of time where the money is going, and that's good planning. In other words, the first of God's house rules is A, number one, set a budget. Everybody say it. Set a budget. Set a budget. 
Now, John Maxwell, famous author, leadership guru, says this about a budget. He says, a budget is people telling their money where to go instead of wondering where it went. I love that. I think that is so good because a budget, according to the scripture, you're like, Jared, why are we talking super practical? Like, how is this from the Bible? Guys, look right here. Proverbs 21.5. Good planning, budgeting, and hard work leads to prosperity. But the opposite, not budgeting, not planning your money, hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. It's painting a picture that if you tell your money where to go rather than wonder where it went, that you will end up in a better place is what it's trying to say here. I love that a budget is people telling their money where to go instead of wondering where it went. How many of you love the word budget? How many of you number of people out there, you like the word budget? Like there's a couple people, right? How many of you hate the concept of a budget? You hate the idea of like the organization and those things, right? And that's okay. It's it's all right for, both, for, there, for us to both exist. You don't have to love it. You don't have to hate it, but you have to understand why a budget is important. And I will be honest and tell you that I have seen how budgets work. I grew up, and my mom is the queen of budgeting. She, she always has this piece of paper with pencil. She uses pencil. My gosh, can you believe that? She has a piece of paper that she draws like four lines or how many paychecks she gets a week from my mom and my dad. And in each one of those, she puts at the top how much money she, she's expected to have come into the bank account. And then she basically arranges like a puzzle all of the expenses that go out and when they're going to pay their bills. And I have seen her do this for my entire life. And I will tell you that we never lacked. We always had what we needed. And there were times where money was super tight. But because there was a plan in place... They were able to tell the money where to go rather than wonder where it went. Now, when I moved out of the house and I went to college, you would think that I would understand this principle, but I wasn't. In fact, early on in my college years and pretty early into our marriage life, I was not good at this at all, and we ended up wondering where our money went all the time. Now, I was really good at tracking receipts, okay? I was really good at tracking where I was spending my money, but don't confuse the two. A lot of us keep our receipts and we write it down. We have a checkbook that tells us how much money you have left. That's not the same thing as a budget because then you're still reacting. What happened was, is I was, I would find myself at the end of a month or even halfway through a month and I would go, where did all my money go? And I would look at the receipts and I go, oh, well, it went to those cheeseburgers and it went to that movie and it went to the seven shirts that I bought and it went to the gas that I put in. It went to all of these things, but then I still had stuff that needed paid for. Anybody live there or been there before? This is, this is life without a plan, right? So that there is a big difference between tracking your purchases and planning your spending, okay? A budget is what we're talking about here. And I always found myself wondering, where did all my money go? So Heather and I have spent a lot of time over the last years, we've been married 15 years now, and we have spent a lot of time working on this idea of a budget, and I can tell you it sets us free. It is worth fighting for. Now, here's why. Here's why it's important. A budget is a plan, and it is the plan of the diligent that leads to abundance. What does that verse of Scripture say? Listen, right here in Proverbs 21.5, good planning. Let's insert the word budget. Budgeting and hard work leads to prosperity. That's why it's important. Here's an example. If you, as part of a church, you're a part of our church encounter, and you say, I love this house, I invest in it. Let's say you give financially to our church because you say, I want to be a part of what God is doing here. I'm being obedient to Scripture. I'm putting God first, and we'll talk about that more next week, right? So we say all of that, and then you trust 
that when you give your money that you have worked for, that God has blessed you with, and you're giving it to the church, you trust that me as the lead pastor, that our board of stewards, that our staff, take that money and we're going to use it effectively so that ministry can be done inside here and then we funnel it outside the walls so that the name of Jesus can be spread to, to, to our city and around the world, right? You understand that that's what's happening. But you also trust that that money is being used accordingly and is used, being used properly. And you'd like to know that there is a plan for where that money is going, right? If we said to you, hey, uh, we just want you to give money that you work for all week, and we're just not going to tell you what we're going to do with it. We'll figure it out as we go along. That's going to make you pretty uncomfortable, right? I want you to know that your church leadership team has a budget that we put in place and that we work through and we stick Two, and we work hard and making sure that the money that comes in goes to where it is supposed to go. That's the same concept with us. And just because I'm the lead pastor doesn't mean that I'm the only one who deals with this. I want you all to know that each of you are CEOs of your own organization. Every one of you at your own home, every one of you, whether it's an $18,000 a year organization or a $300,000 a year organization, you've got a financial organization that you're in charge of. How is it going? How is your organization going? You have revenue and you have expenses. Sometimes you've got profit and sometimes, unfortunately, we've got some losses. How is your organization going? And oftentimes, we ask God for help with our finances. God, help us to get where we want to go. Help us to pay this bill or to do those things. But let me ask you this question. What kind of a financial organization, if you a personal finances situation, would God want to invest in? Would he want to invest in one that has a plan and is working hard to stick to the principles and to the intentionality? Would he want to invest in that? Or is God going to want to invest in a situation that will squander what was given on cheeseburgers and on t-shirts? Like, that's kind of what we have to think of. So very simply, what does a budget maybe look like? And, I, and we'll talk more about this stuff later. But listen, this is a budget by God's house rules. Very simple. Number one, you put God first. Everything, you have to start it from the concept of saying, I believe that everything that I have comes from God. So I'm going to tell him that he can do with it as he wants. That's what it means to be putting God first. Number two, saving second. We're going to talk about that in a second. This is hard. But what we see in Scripture is that when we put God first, we put money aside, which creates margin. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And then we have our expenses. That's that's the shell of a budget. God's house rules budget is put God first, save some money on the side, and then your expenses. But we decide in advance where to put our money. That's what a budget is. Budgeting works best with a tool or a system. I already mentioned my mom uses paper and a pencil. Heather and I use a spreadsheet. Some of us, you could use an app. There are a million things out there, and I would encourage you to check it out in the App Store, the Google Play Store. It's called YNAB, You Need a Budget. Several people in our church do use this, and it's as simple as putting in your income and putting in your budget and the, day, and the, the bills and the amount, and it subtracts it and tells you everything. So there are all sorts of apps out there and a lot of tools. And listen, I just want you to say this. We're going to move on here in a second. If you need help with this, Heather and I would love to help you. We would love to be there and to help you get on track with Proverbs here, to be a good planner of your money so that you can lead to prosperity rather than poverty. If you're stuck feeling like, I don't know where my money goes, it's probably because you don't have a budget, you're not being intentional. I promise you, we start living by this God's house rules, we will see freedom and peace in your life. And Heather and I would love to help get you guys on a budget. Uh, lastly, before we move this, listen, if you're married, if you're married, and we have a lot of married couples in the house here today, you guys need to work on this together. 
Okay, I don't mean that like you have to both literally pay every bill and you both have to set your budget, but you both have to have an agreement and understanding about where your money is going and how you both want to spend your money. You have to sit down together and say, what's important to us? And, and make a decision that you're both going to be doing this thing. Because what happens if you don't is the wife or the husband who's doing the budget says, we can't afford this thing. We should say no to this right now. And the other spouse is frustrated and goes and spends the money anyway. And and that happens all the time. When you're married, the Bible says that you become one flesh. You become one team, right? So what we need to be doing is working together. Marriage only works when we're both in it all together, all in, right? So here's what I would highly suggest to you. And some of you are probably going to get mad at me, and I don't care because of what I'm about to say to you. Marriage is about one person. So I would highly suggest to you that you guys combine your personal checking accounts. Because it is hard for you to be able to work a plan together if you're separate. If you're holding things or you're saying, this is mine, that's yours, you can do what you want. And there's no scripture that says specifically you have to do this. But I want you to understand that if you look at marriage the way that God does about being one flesh, one team, when you work together rather than separately, you can accomplish more. I believe that with all my heart. So the first of God's house rules is this, set a budget. Set a budget. Number two, Proverbs 21.20. We're going to go skip down about 15 verses. This is what it says. The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. And that kind of sounds the same, right? But it's actually not. The wise have wealth and luxury. We want to say the spoiled have wealth and luxury. We want to say the lucky have wealth and luxury, right? We, we kind of, if you don't have a lot of money, we tend to vilify those who have it, right? But here's the thing about money is that those who are rich and have plenty, rarely did they just win the lottery. In fact, what we've seen is most people who win the lottery end up with no money later on anyway, right? We talked about that last week, that the more money you have, it just makes you more of what you already are. And the reason that people are wealthy is because they tend to know what to do with the money. They don't spend all of it. That's what it says, right? The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. So the second, second step, the second of God's house rules is start saving. So the first was start a budget. The second is start saving. Now let's pause right here because some of you might be where I am to where you're like, um, I, I could maybe think about starting a budget. That might be good, but I for sure have no space in my budget to be able to save anything, okay? And I get it, right? I understand that. I am not, I'm not standing up here saying that, like, I've got it all together. You've got to be like this. I want to be honest with you and just full honesty to you and say this is hard for me. Right now, this concept of saving money is something that we're not great at. Okay, me and my wife, Heather, we have a budget. We've been working on that, and that budget frees us up to be able to do the things we want. And so we do have the ability to put some money aside, but it's not for what we're talking about. That's for like, oh, I really want to go to Kennywood, so we save for a month in the month or whatever, and we go on a day. That's budgeting. But pretty much... If something were to happen, our car was to break down, need a new transmission. Like if you're in the house and your and your uh, um, your water heater explodes or your plumbing gets messed up, now you're talking a thousand dollars. I don't have that. And probably you don't either. Most of us in this room probably don't have that. And the reason is, is because we don't have any money saved. We spend everything that we get. Now, I understand this is tough. And Heather and I have been sitting here thinking, how do we get there? Because God's word says that the wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. I don't want to be a fool. 
I don't want to be that guy who, who at any given moment something disastrous could happen and I'm back to zero or I'm back in debt or I've been working so hard for the last years to get myself back in order. If any of you feel this way, it's because we don't have any margin. We don't have any margin in our budgets. So how do we get there? How do we get there? We need to expect the unexpected, but how do we get there? Here's what I would say to you. First, we need to understand why we're saving. It's not so that we can go on vacation. It's for guardrail purpose. I have an image right here of what saving is like. It's like creating a rail right around a cliff at the edge of a road so that when an unexpected curve comes up, we have something protecting us so that we don't fall off the cliff. If, I, I, I bet if I were to ask you to raise your hand and, and to say, yeah, this is me, I, I would guess a lot of us would be able to, and I'm not going to ask you that, but you would say, have you ever been in a situation where you were doing okay financially, paying your bills every month, and then something unexpected came up, and now all of a sudden it threw you like, like off the roller coaster to where now I'm, I've, I'm piled up in debt. I had to maybe take a loan out or I had to borrow money from someone. This happens, right? Because we live at the limits of what we have. And, and you would say, but I'm not, I don't live with luxury. I don't have a lot of, of extra expenses. But I would say, when I look at my budget, and I don't know your specific situation, but there are always things that we can do. There are always spaces that we can create margin. It creates a safety net for us. Now, like I said, you're probably thinking, that sounds great. I'd love to have some money in the bank to save for the rainy day or when something happens and there's a disaster or an emergency. How do I get there? And listen, this is where it gets hard. And this is where Heather and I really have to take a look at our finances. Dave Ramsey, who is a financial guru, and I have, don't have a lot of experience with him, but I know that his program, Financial Peace University, and all of these different things that he has sponsored, that they have set a lot of people free and changed finances for people, right? So I know this guy knows what he's talking about. Dave Ramsey says that the best way to get there, to build up a little bit of savings so that you are protected, is to get $1,000 in no more than six to eight weeks. Now, you're sitting here, some of you are like, like me, you're like, where the heck am I going to get $1,000 in like a month and a half or two months, right? And here's the thing, like, like that's, a, that's an emoji face, like a shocked emoji. Like I'm like, there is no way that I can come up with $1,000. But I bet you I could, or I bet you that you could, if maybe we start thinking about things that we can cut back on. What if we got really serious? What if we got really, really, really real? Maybe we sold some stuff on eBay, right? Maybe we, we started selling things on Craigslist. Maybe we looked through our house and we wondered what is there that is really not necessary because my financial freedom and security is more important than my third TV, maybe, right? Or something like that. What if we sold enough stuff that our kids started to think that they were next? Like, what if we, what if we, you know what I mean? Like, what if we, what if we got so serious and so wild about this idea of living on the concept of margin and being safe in our finances wisely that we got serious enough that we got rid of some of the things and made that money off of that? Maybe, maybe we got a second job. Maybe we cut coupons, and I'm not talking about Groupon. There is a difference between coupons and Groupon, okay? Because some of us in the room look at Groupon and go, whoa, 75% off? That's like, that's like almost free, right? And then you spend money rather than saying no to something. Coupons gives you money off of something you're already going to buy. Groupon is buying something you don't need. Now, if you're already going to buy something and you have this thing and you need that thing and you find a Groupon, that's awesome. But don't confuse the two. What I'm talking about here is finding margin, finding ways. And that $1,000, that's just, that's just a number. But that's because if I had 1000 bucks in my, in my savings account that was only for emergencies... 
that's probably going to cover most of the things that would break, right? You understand that? I understand that this is difficult. This is hard because I'm sitting here going, how am I going to do that? But do I want to live by God's principles of freedom? Do I want to have to worry and the stress? How many of us live every day feeling like, my gosh, my car could break at any moment? Or, and what am I going to do to pay for it? I have to put it on the credit card. Like, this is American society right now. This is our world. It's credit and it's debt. And instead, God says, no, decide to live differently, free from the paycheck to paycheck lifestyle. But we have to decide that this is important and we have to make the decision to do it. But it does require us living within our means and what you can afford and making decisions to live with less stuff so that we can enjoy what we have more and more. The older I get, the more I realize that the things that I have and the family that I have, those things are worth so much more than the stress of feeling like I need more. You know, I've never felt better after getting another TV. I've never felt like that peace that I need in my life has never come from a thing. But I have felt every day that the paycheck that I have feels to disappear way too fast. You guys ever seen that funny little meme video of, of, uh, of like the little baby with the food and the cat reaches out and grabs the thing and like, and it says, this is my paycheck every week, right? That's what we feel like all the time. And that's oftentimes not just, like, it's not just that we have a lot of bills. It's that a lot of the bills that we have, we think we need and we don't. And that's really the biggest piece to all of this. To get this going, we might have to get a little crazy. You might have to get a little passionate. Your friends might think you're a little weird because you're selling stuff that you work so hard to get. But if we do it fast, we can get some momentum going. And then you'll know. You're going to go, wow, I've got that money over there. And I know that it's just going to protect me. It lives within the guardrails. And here's what the Bible does for us. The Bible gives us a better vision. It helps us to see freedom freely and clearly. When, when the Bible says that the wise live with wealth and luxury, like you, you might feel like that's so far from you, but it's not saying that you have to be wealthy or luxurious. What it's saying is, is be wise. And you will be wise with your money. And when you have little, what are you doing with it properly? Use that budget. When I can tell you, and I don't want to go back to point number one, but I tell you so many times in my life and when I, as I was growing up that that budget takes the little and gets the most out of it. It squeezes every drop out of the money that you make. And it helps you see and make decisions. And savings is part of that. You can squeeze some money and put it over here and say, that's for when I need it. And it takes so much pressure off. And the Bible tells us that, that, that it's not that it's our plan, that God's plan is for everybody to make six figures. Right? That's not what it's saying. In fact, some of us, it's like you're going to make $22,000 a year. And that's okay. And you can live that. But you can still have wealth and luxury in terms, of, in terms of what God is saying. What do I mean by that? It means real wealth of having margin, the luxury of generosity, the wealth of never again having to feel the pressure of keeping up with somebody else in our finances, the luxury of sleeping well at night. And let me tell you, that's a luxury that a lot of people don't have. The wealth and luxury of knowing that we're moving in the right direction. So God's house rules, number one is start a budget. Number two is start saving. And number three, we're not going to get there yet. In just a minute, we're going to read out of Proverbs 22, 7. But here's a little warning, okay? I want to give you a disclaimer. You're like, man, Jared, you said a lot already. And now I'm about to say something that's probably going to be really hard for us. The third one here is big. This is important. But for some of you reading this verse, we're gonna, it's going to feel like a cold splash of water on your face after waking up from a nap, okay? Like what I'm about to say and what we're about to read is tough. And here's why. Because sometimes the stress of facing the reality that we have been ignoring for too long is greater than the stress of living with things being really tight. Let me read that again slowly. 
Sometimes the stress of facing the reality that we have been ignoring is greater than the stress of living with things being really tight. What, I'm, what are we talking about here? Denial, right? Denial can feel like a warm, fuzzy blanket. I can wrap myself up. I don't have to worry about it. I can enjoy my nice 70-inch flat screen, 4K Ultra TV, right, Like that, that I put on my Best Buy credit card, okay? Like it makes you feel safe, but it's an illusion. So what we're about to do is we're going to let God's spirit lovingly take away that warm, fuzzy blanket, and we're going to feel cold for a little bit, but the reason is because we want to be truly financially free. But first, a little bit of background. For centuries, there's been this rule that everyone has lived by, and we have gotten away from it as Americans, and here's the rule. And pretty much all finances came from this. But to us, it would sound crazy, and here's the rule. If you didn't have the money to buy something that you wanted, you just weren't allowed to buy it. I see jaws dropping everywhere, right? If you didn't have the money to buy something, you just didn't buy it, and you weren't allowed to buy it. There was no such thing as a credit card. There were no such things as loans, right? They didn't exist at all. Before the Great Depression, only 2%, get this number, only 2% of homes actually had a mortgage on them, right? But in 40 years, that number flipped where only 2% didn't have mortgages. That's what happened in the 1900s in our country. We became a credit nation. We became a debt nation. And today we're going to, when we look at making a purchase, we look at all the wrong reasons. Instead of asking how much does this cost, we ask how much money do I have to put down on what are the monthly payments? We do that for TVs, we do that for furniture. Right on Butler Street, there were, there were two like rental places, like you can rent furniture and TVs. And I'm not saying that, like, that, that we shouldn't have things, but we went from a place of where we, as a, as a culture, as a society, for thousands and thousands of years, where it's like if you just didn't have money, you didn't buy the thing. And now we want to have stuff, and we mortgage our lives for it. Proverbs 22, 7. We're going to wrap up with this here today. I need to be quick. This is what it says. Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. That's hard. Listen to that. Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is the servant to the lender. There are, here's the third house rule is to get out of debt. Set a budget, start saving, and get out of debt. This is God's plan for all of his people whether you make a million dollars a year or you make $18,000 a year, all of us can live within these rules. And there are three kinds of people in the world, and I'm generalizing. There's the haves, there are the have-nots, and then there's the have-not-yet-paid-off-our-stuff-yet people. And that's where a lot of us live. We have a lot of stuff that we don't own, and actually we are, uh, we are underneath the rule of those people that we owe money to. What Scripture does is it defines the relationship between a borrower and a lender. And this is, this is what's not an equal relationship. The concept of having debt is one of a servant to a master. That's what it says right here. Listen to that scripture again. Just as the rich rule the poor, so is the borrower a servant to the lender. If you have ever loaned money to a friend or to a family member, you know what I'm talking about. You're always looking at them. When are they going to pay me back? All right? When are they going to pay me back? Oh, I saw that they went out to that nice restaurant for dinner. They could have used that money to give me the money that they owe me, right? Or what if you ever borrowed money from a friend or from a family member? You know that feeling of the eyes on you all the time, right? And have you ever experienced this? Like, I have. Like, I feel guilty because I went and took my kids to Burger King. But, 
you know, because I'm thinking that the person I borrowed money for, from is going, well, you know, if you took that $22, that would be, you know, $7,000 less or whatever that you owe me or something, right? Like, this is what happens when we, when it changes the nature of a relationship. When you are indebted to someone, you become a servant to them. You are no longer a friend. You're no longer a brother. You're no longer a father or a daughter. You are now a servant to the person that you owe money to. Debt changes every relationship. And we become a servant. And this is what the Bible is saying. The reason that debt leaves us feeling hopeless, heavy, discouraged, is because we were not designed by God to serve other people. We were not designed to be in a place where we are servants or slaves to anyone. We were designed to be free. We were designed to be free. Think about this. I heard a pastor friend of mine say this. I'm going to read it. He says, Jesus died to wipe out our debt spiritually. He died to make us spiritually debt-free. And God understood that we would never succeed spiritually if we were constantly trying to compensate for whatever had separated us from God. So Jesus died not to remove part of our debt or set us on a payment plan or a low interest rate. He paid in full everything we owe but could never pay. And as a result, a debt free toward God and we serve God by choice. We're servants by choice of God. He has saved us by no works of our own and our response of faith and gratitude is to spend the rest of our lives voluntarily serving and loving him. I love that. But here's the thing. Shouldn't we also think the same way about our finances? Wouldn't it make sense that if God created us to live spiritually free, and when it comes to our finances, an area that is obviously important to Jesus, that he has also designed us to live according to the same principle, to be free from those who would seek to own us or to cause us to live with less? That's the best way to serve God is to stop serving other things and to be living free. And the same thing happens with us in debt. And for some of us, that makes sense. You're like, I want to get there. I want to get there. I need to understand how to get there. But maybe you're, some of you in here, maybe you're tuning out a little bit. You're thinking, I am overwhelmed right now by debt you know, I'm, I'm, or maybe you're feeling like, you know what, I'm doing okay. Like, I'm all right with all my debt because I've got enough money. But here's the thing, is that God has not created us to live as servants to other people. And one day, just like that story we read last week, things are going to crash in some way, and you will not be prepared for it no matter how much money you have. If we live freely, we have the ability to, to do whatever God calls us to do in any season of life. The best way is to serve God is to stop serving our lenders out of obligation so we can start serving our God out of love. Now, I want to say this, and we're going to close, is that remember, there is no guilt here, okay? Like, I have debt that we have been working on paying off. And some of you may have a lot of debt. I remember there was a commercial that was like talking about, I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. And the guy's like riding around in his lawnmower out back, and he's got this big house and things like God's house rules. The physics of God's kingdom operates different than what we see around us, all right? The idea is that I want two cars and a three-car garage and a big house and all these things because that's what we see and we can touch and we're told we should have. But those things end up like prisons in our financial situation. And what God is saying is like all of those things are fine if they're within your means, what he's saying is instead is change your perspective to stop chasing after everything else and instead be happy with what I've given you in the moment, We've all made bad decisions. There is no guilt here. I have been there. I'm still there in a lot of places, but I'm working on living with this rule, and I don't want any of us to ignore this any longer because it just sets us down a path of more stress, more frustration. So here, we're going to finish with this. How do we get out of debt? How do we get out of debt? There's an image right here. I just want to start with something real easy. It's hard to see on the screen. 
On the left side, we have a bunch of little, a bunch of little uh, debts, for example, Visa, medical bill, MasterCard, car loans, student loans, and next to it is the amount of money that you owe on those things. Everybody understands this. And you have a minimum payment. So for like Visa's $50, medical bill, 30 bucks, MasterCard, 200, depending on your interest rates, right? Everybody gets this idea. How do we get out of debt? If you can find money, a little extra money, $200 or 100 bucks, whatever it might be, find some space in your budget. Again, guys, this is serious stuff, but I promise you, when we get it going and once you get out of it, you will be free. And you'll be standing up here going, seriously, Jared was telling the truth. Like, I promise you, okay? So the idea is if you were to find $200 in your budget to put towards your debt, you take your minimum payment on your first thing, the smallest one, you take that $200 plus your minimum payment, and every month you just hammer $250, $250, $250, $250 until that little thing is gone. Now, common wisdom would tell you, no, I should probably attack the thing with the highest interest rate, right? No, what we're doing here is we're building a snowball. All you're trying to do is build some momentum so that you can start attacking all of it. If you pay off your $900 balance in your Visa card with 250 bucks a month, what you're doing is, is in six months, eight months, that thing is gone. And now, now you not only have that, you have $250 to add to the $30 a month you're supposed to put in your medical bill. And now you're talking $280 every month until that medical bill is paid off. And then you take that. Now you've got $480 that you're smashing down with your debt. Do you understand how this works? It's a snowball effect. But it has to start with somewhere with you and me saying, I don't want to be in debt anymore, and I'm going to do something about it. I don't want to live as a servant to a lender. Instead, I want to serve God freely. And I can't. And some of you say, I want so badly to be generous. I want to give to our church. I want to go on missions trips. I want to do all these things. I even think, like I, want to, I want to have a good Christmas for my kids. Right? You say these things, but we intentionally indebt ourselves so that we can't do this. Do you understand how that works? We become slaves of other things. Because we have said yes to temporary things instead of living freely. When I have freedom in my budget, when I don't have the bills, right now I'm paying off something that costs me almost $500 a month. And Heather and I are counting down the days until that thing is paid off so we will have an extra 450 bucks in our budget. Can you, what would that do for your life? What kind of freedom would that give you? Do you understand what God is saying? Don't live as a slave to other people. But if you are, if you find yourself already in that place, you have to say, I'm going to stop the cycle and start budgeting. I'm going to cut things so that I can start saving and put money down to attack my budget. And that maybe means not going to Starbucks or Crazy Mocha or Espresso Mamano as often. It might mean cutting your cable bill out or down. It might mean having slower internet. God, that hurts me so hard, <laughs> right? Like, it might mean those things so that I can find the room that I need to attack the things that matter the most. So here we are. We're going to finish right here. Set up a budget. We're going to stop winging it, right? If I'm the CEO of my organization, I'm taking charge. I'm making decisions with careful planning and wisdom. We're going to stick to it and because hard work and planning leads to prosperity. We're going to save money fast instead of spending it all. We're going to have an emergency fund. We're going to start paying off our debt one at a time, the smallest first to the largest until they're gone, and then we will leave Brokeopoly in the dust, everybody. That is what we're shooting for. We've got to get a little crazy. We've got to get a little weird. Okay, we've got to get determined. We've got to get committed. We've got to get focused. And it will require something that we don't like in our culture that we see from Jesus, and that is sacrifice. 
sacrifice. Here's the big idea of this message, and I think this truth will fuel everything. It changes everything that we need to, to see, the changes that we need to make in our lives to see what we want in our finances. This comes from Dave Ramsey, the Christian financial guru, but it's also in Scripture, and here's the principle. It's a big idea, and we're going to finish right here. Live like no one else today so that you can live like no one else tomorrow. If you make these changes today, you start doing things that and no one else on your block does and nobody else, even in your church does. If you start doing these things that are out of God's word, you hold on to his promises, his wisdom, his truth. Tomorrow you will be free and you will be able to live like no one else does. You'll be able to do, like I look at those people who go on trips all the time and they mission trip three times a year. How do they afford that? Because they have not indebted themselves. They save money. They have a budget. They live by God's principles and they are free. It is rare to find someone who has such a clear and compelling vision for the future that they're willing to be passionate about it and make unusual sacrifices. And this is what sacrifice is. It means giving up something that you want now for something that is even better later. For some of you, it's sacrificing cable so you can have a debt-free Christmas this year. For some of you, it's sacrificing the bigger house so that you can stay home with your kids. For some of us, it's sacrificing lunch or Starbucks so you can pay off your car. I want to finish here. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. This is what Jesus did. He had a goal. Listen to this. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him. The thing that was waiting, he what? Endured the cross. He sacrificed for what he knew was better down the road. And that's the principle that God's calling us to today. Jesus is our example because of the joy awaiting for him, the joy of pleasing God and knowing that you and I would have access to God through his sacrifice. He endured the cross. Let's live by God's house rules so we can live free. Would you stand with me? I appreciate you guys being patient and listening today. There was a lot of stuff to cover. Let's close your eyes and pray with me. God, the, some of this stuff is hard. It's hard. It's difficult. But I think, at least for me, I can't escape knowing that my life would be better if I was free, if I didn't constantly have to think about money and where it was going and instead I could tell it where to go. God, would you help us to this week, you know, if anybody's in the room who's feeling, you know, maybe defensive, this is not out of guilt or, or anything. It's just trying to hear what God's word says and apply it. God, would you help us to see our finances the way that you do? Would you show us areas that we can, that we can cut or that we can create margin and save so that we can not have to be victims, but instead have a plan? God, would you help us to see the areas of debt and the things that we can do to get out of them? God, would you give us a spirit of sacrifice, not because we want to live in pain, but that we can live and we see a vision for something down the road, something that is better, something that is greater for our kids and, and for, for our lives, and we can live in peace and be able to, to serve you without worry. That's what we want. Would you help us to understand your house rules and to begin to put plans in place and to live by them? Would you help us to encourage each other, to strengthen each other in this, to be honest with each other at life groups about these things and to walk with each other and to assist each other in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. We're going to go ahead and uh, just worship now with our giving. We've kind of run out of time today, so we want to make sure that we 
we uh, honor and respect your time as well as the, the landlord that we pay money to. Um, but uh, our service hosts are going to come forward. Listen, we believe that we put God first in our church as well as in our personal finances, and God has always taken care of us. And that's why we give. We give to say, I believe in what you say is true. I want to invest in what God is doing here and in our city. And when you do, God is faithful back to us. So a couple easy ways for you to give. First is just a basket that's going to come by in a second. You can just put your, your gift in there. If you want it to be a tax-deductible gift, just use the envelope in front of your chair and put your info, and we'll make sure that you get a letter at the end of the year. Uh, but most of our church gives online, and that is EncounterGiving.com. You can do it with a credit card or a bank account and set it up real easy for you. Um, I encourage you to do it today. And this is an act of worship. When you put that money in the basket, you put your information in, you're saying, God, you have my finances. I'm giving them to you. I worship you. Thank you for what you've done. And we're trusting him. So let's, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll uh, close out our service. Father, Thank you for the words that you've spoken to us. Thank you for the, the goodness and the challenge. Thank you that you have something better for us. I pray that every person who gives today, you would show them even immediately, God, how you are controlling their lives. You're taking care of them, that there's nothing for them to worry about. Take every gift, stretch it, multiply it so that we can continue to do greater work, more work, so that more people will know Jesus. We thank you for every person today in Jesus' name. Amen. As the baskets go around, let's just sing this chorus together before we close. longer a slave to fear I am a child of God I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God sing it again I'm no longer a slave I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. God, let that ring in our hearts all throughout this week that you've called us to no longer be a slave to anything, to fear, to, to money, to the, the, the worry but instead that you set us free as children of God. Help us to hear you and to follow what you would say, even when it's scary and we're not sure. Let us take our cues from you. Be with us this week. Guide us. For all the dads, I pray you will bless them today. Let them to feel less worry and less stress today as they just feel that you are, they are loved. In Jesus' name, amen. And listen, guys, before we go, if any of this stuff that you want to talk about, I would love to meet with you. I'd love to talk with you, and I'd love to help you get there. It is possible, I promise you. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home, or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Encounter PGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.